Welcome to Technovation. I'm your host, Peter High. My guest today is Earl Newsom. Earl is the Chief Information Officer of Cummins, a nearly $24 billion revenue global power leader that designs, manufactures, sells, and services diesel and alternative fuel engines. Earl leads a team of 4,000 employees and contractors. He's a leading light on the future of technology, but also a leader on the topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, to which he adds the topic of belonging, and thus D-E-I-N-B. He was a founder of TechPact, which is helping foster DEI&B progress in the field of technology. Earl has been a CXO several times over, having been the CTO of Estee Lauder and a CIO at TE Connectivity, Praxair, and Linda prior to his current post at Cummins. I look forward to covering all of the above and more with him. And with that, I'd like to welcome Earl Newsom to the broadcast. Earl, great to speak with you again. Nice to speak with you again, Peter. It's been some time since we had a chance to talk. I can't wait to catch up with you. And likewise, I've been really looking forward to this conversation as well. But first, a quick word from our sponsor, Cisco, and the company's Senior Vice President and General Manager of Global Customer Experience, Thamaya Subaya. As customer expectations evolve, Thamaya wanted to take a moment to share how companies can stay ahead of these shifting expectations and make informed decisions on the future of work. Thamaya, over to you. Hello everyone, this is Tamaya Subaya, SVP and GM of Global Customer Experience for Cisco. Businesses have had to make a dramatic shift to align to the rise in customer expectations, especially in this new hybrid work landscape. Work is a product of people, technology and places, and our perception of the future of work is constantly being reshaped. Cisco CX helps you make those informed decisions as customer experience continues to evolve. And hybrid work helps you support that evolution. It's here and it's here to stay. Just search for Cisco CX to learn more. And now on to our broadcast. Well, I, I want to begin, Earl, with your current role. For a little less than a year and a half now, you've been the Chief Information Officer of Cummins. And uh, for, for those who may be less familiar with the organization, I wonder if you could take a quick moment and just give an overview of Cummins business, please. Sure, I absolutely will. So Cummins, we're the largest independent engine manufacturer in the world. We manufacture diesel engines um, and non-diesel engines for multiple uses. And so we manufacture them for on-highway uses in truckers. And so a lot of the, uh, the machines you see out there, the diesel trucks out there are powered by Cummins engines. But we also manufacture engines for off-highway uses. And so construction equipment, rail, uh, marine, C, uh, et cetera. So, and also we, we, we manufacture engines for uh, power generation systems. So a lot of the engines that we manufacture are powering some of the data centers that you use today. Uh, and so there's a lot of, of, of use within Cummins. Um, you know, we are a Fortune 150 company. We operate in a little over 190 countries uh, and have over 60,000 employees. So it's a fantastic business. Excellent. And talk a bit about your role as Chief Information Officer. You've been a CIO multiple times over uh, companies like TE Connectivity, Praxair, Linda before your current role at Cummins. You were a CTO at Estee Lauder. Uh, so you, you've seen a variety of different flavors of the role. Talk about this one and what, what are your areas of responsibility as CIO, please? Thank you very much. I mean, my uh, areas of operation and, and responsibilities as CIO here at Cummins is I operate, you know, uh, at the senior levels. And so I'm a, a part of the CLT, our Cummins leadership team. Um, and as part of that leadership team, uh, we're responsible for helping to oversee the operations of the company. And so we operate as a joint 
you know, matrix-based organization. I've got the responsibility for the IT function. Uh, a partner of mine has this responsibility for the digital function. Uh, we have people who lead our business units. And then the combination of all that together between the business unit leaders and the functional leaders kind of form a, a mutual leadership team that helps guide the operations of the company and makes decisions and operates as a team um, and really enthusiastically influences our leadership behaviors. And that's one of the things that's unique about Cummins is that we really believe in our eight fundamental leadership behaviors and how they guide the company. In fact, one of our former CEOs said there are no great companies without great leaders. And so Cummins takes leadership development very, very seriously. Um, and we, you know, we offer a, a multiple year leadership journey. We do deep uh, introspection of ourselves, of our teams, of our organization, and bring all that together to really create an amazing culture here at Cummins. And so I'm proud to be a part of that culture. And so my responsibilities, you know, kind of include participation on that leadership team and on the operations team, as well as running my function. Um, and then in partnership with the digital organization. And we also have a business services organization, which is a shared services organization. And the collectively between digital IT and our shared services organization, we service all the technology needs of the company from an information technology perspective. Well, let's talk a little bit more about those uh, technology needs, Earl. Uh, what are some of the areas that you and your team are focused on uh, of late? What, what are some of the aspects of your priorities or strategic plan that you, you'd care to shine a light on? Sure, I'd love to talk about that. And one of the things that we did, you know, I've been here a, a little over a year, as you've mentioned, uh, and so I've created my strategy. And so uh, basically a little over two years ago, uh, we had an external organization come through and look at our back office functions. So they looked at, you know, IT and finance and HR and our shared services organization. And they created a program called Renovate. And Renovate for IT was really kind of focused on how do we accelerate to the cloud? How do we improve our IT operating model? How do we do application portfolio management? And how do we optimize our suppliers? And so as I was coming on board a little over a year ago, I really began with my 100-day plan. And my 100-day plan was really focused on four things as well. Uh, one was really kind of focused on understanding the industry and the business. The second one was really about establishing my brand. The third was around addressing the hot topics of which you know, Renovate was one and cybersecurity is another. And the fourth one was really about establishing my agenda, right? And so when you think about those last two, this notion of my agenda is gonna be for IT as well as these hot topics, that led to the creation of my new strategy, which I call Renovate Plus. And so Renovate Plus really is built on the strong foundation that we established in our Renovate program. I just added on to it, you know, much like HBO and HBO Plus, ESPN and ESPN Plus. You know, so that's my clever, you know, marketing mind at work. Right? And so the plus really meant three things. Uh, the first was really take a business orientation to Renovate. And so that really meant four pivots. Right. So instead of just thinking about, you know, the IT operating model, we started to talk about how do we move at the speed of business. And so we created a business agility agenda. The second one, instead of just thinking about accelerating to the cloud, let's think about what we really get by going to the cloud. And so we started thinking about a business resiliency agenda. You know, instead of thinking about application portfolio management and harmonization, let's think about how can we really help the business not only win, but get their unfair share in the marketplace. And we think about business capability management. Instead of just thinking about, you know, uh, the last pivot 
instead of just thinking about this notion of supplier optimization, why don't I optimize the entire IT organization and really help us run as a business? And so that became the first plus is applying that business orientation to the programs within Renovate. The second plus was really about driving self-directed teams. And so we wanted to truly empower organization to really bring their full craft together to deliver those outcomes we wanted in our first business orientation elements. And the third pivot was really building a new and deeper engagement model with the business focused on business success management, which is my version of BRM 2.0, and uh, really driving a product orientation to everything that we do. And so when you think about my entire strategy, it's really about unleashing the full power of IT through applying a business orientation to our Renovate program, building and delivering self-directed teams and empowering our organization, and building a new and deeper engagement model with the business. So that's what my focus is. That's what I'm trying to drive. And those really become the cultural elements about how we're going to deliver IT. So we're going to deliver IT through being agile, building and delivering resilient systems, matching the needs and capabilities of our organization and delivering against those needs and capabilities and running the best IT organization on the planet. In fact, when I talk about R+, I want to take R+, down to every level within the organization. So imagine, you know, if you're a desktop engineer, I want you to apply R+, to everything that you do every day. So if you're delivering a desktop, I want you to deliver that desktop at the speed in which the users need it. I want you to make sure that that desktop operates and operates well when the user needs it to operate well and for it to be resilient. I need for that desktop to have all the capabilities that that user needs uh, to operate and run their business. And I want you to be the best damn desktop technician on the planet. <laughs> and so there is the how I want to personalize R+. And so that's what's driving me. And that, that's what's driving how we're going to deliver everything. The what we're going to deliver is going to be really focused on those business outcomes. And so whether we're doing supply chain transformation, whether we're doing new diesel growth strategy, whether we're doing digitalization, or we're doing desktop delivery, we're going to do all of those things with agility, resiliency, capability, and our foundation in mind. Great overview, Earl. Thank you for that. And, and it suggests a lot of a lot of important change for the organization. And I wonder how you think about the best ways of uh, introducing that change. Um, how best to ensure an organization as large and complex as yours uh, can digest it appropriately, and even some of the cultural elements that are necessary uh, that might need some tweaking as a result of what you've described. Can you talk a bit about the change management associated with a program like what you've described, please? And that's a fantastic question. And that's where we're focused now. Um, and that's part of, you know, the change management efforts that uh, we're working on with internally with our communications program, you know, with our change management program, with our program leadership. So we're combining, you know, kind of program leadership with communications and change management, integrating all three of those together to kind of help drive this cultural change. And we're doing things like cultural hacking. So how do we hack our culture? Uh, and one of those ways is to think about that R plus that I've just described at the individual level. You may have been reminded or even knew about these uh, Southwest Airlines model. Um, and they had a model slash mission, which was really describing that said, you know, we want to really get everyone on the plane safely. We want to depart on time and we want to land safely. So a very simple mission that says, 
you know, board safely, depart on time, arrive safely. What a great simple model that Southwest Airlines had. Uh, and not only did they have that, they tied everyone's job to that model. So you could ask the luggage people, you know, how did you make that? Well, my job is to make sure that those bags are on board 20 minutes before departure. You know, the people who are maintenance, I, my maintenance has to be done, you know, 10 minutes before departure. The fuel has to be loaded 25 minutes before departure. The gate agents that you know, need to make sure that people get on board by this time. Uh, and so everyone knew, you know, how what their job was associated with delivering that mission. That's the same kind of change management strategy I want to have in place uh, in my organization so that all 4,000 of our IT colleagues, whether they be, you know, FTEs that are Cummins badged employees or non-Cummins badged employees that are part of our, you know, managed services organization. I want every one of those people to understand what their role is in delivering that business agility, resiliency, capability over the strong foundation. Uh, and so they can be the best at their job while delivering their sets of services and capabilities with that agility, resiliency, and business capability in mind. So I want you to be able to go down one day, Peter, to you go ask a desktop technician in Europe, what does it take to deliver against Resiliency Plus? And I want them to be able to tell you the story that I just told you. That's fantastic. That's really great. And I'd love to dive a little bit deeper into your business engagement model as well and the focus on business outcomes. What a great way to orient the team, certainly. Talk a bit about some of the methods that you're using to bring that to life. Um, again, yours is a large, complex uh, organization. The number of people and the number of parts of the organization in, uh, in need of that engagement uh, in, in, and in need of, of, of better business outcomes are many. Um, talk a bit about how you've organized the team to deliver uh, against that as well, please. So what we've done in, uh, to kind of organize the teams, we've gone to this product orientation. So we're creating products uh, in line with our business. And so whether you're in the distribution business, business or the components business or engine business or our new power business, uh, you know, whatever business line that you're in, we're trying to do this business capability management. And so we're lining up all of our you know, needs around those business capabilities, then orienting products toward those business capabilities, and then creating teams uh, around those products to help deliver those products. Um, and so we're, we're applying, you know, this large scale uh, scrum technology, less is what it's called. So, and we're using that, that large scale scrum management to kind of do this at a very large organization uh, and trying to make sure that you know, each of our product teams are aligned towards those business outcomes. And then plus we're adapting and utilizing OKRs, right? And so we're using that, and I'd like to even change it to OKOs, right? So, you know, <laughs> this kind of these objective key outcomes, right? Say that objectives, key results, objective key outcomes, right? And so if you think about key outcomes, I mean, we're, we, we've taken our entire uh, structure and we've created these objective key outcomes kinds of cards and we're tracking those with each of the teams. And so everyone now has an OKO uh, associated with them and then they're aligned along uh, delivering those key outcomes. That's a great overview. Thank you for that. And what, an, what a powerful way to do that. I like your, your modification of the OKR to the OKO to make the point even more, uh, more specific. Make it even more. <laughs> exactly. I was going to ask you as well, uh, uh, one of the last times you and I spoke were, was just a couple of months into the creation of Tech Pact, um, which is a, uh, a, a, at least initially, a group of peers of yours and yourself, of course, taking a leadership mm -hmm. role in 
uh, developing new methods and and uh, driving new new commitments towards inclusion and equity uh, in the technology industry. And I wonder now, uh, you know, coming up on later this year, two years into this, uh, mm-hmm. can you talk a bit about the progress made and and uh, maybe maybe reasons for optimism based on what you've seen? Sure, uh, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk about the tech pack and and really talk about you know my thoughts on inclusion, equity, and diversity um, and how that's evolved over time. So as we started, as I talked last time, we talked a bit about this, this notion about what brought on the tech pack. Um, but I want to make that even broader because as we think about it now, and I've talked about this before, this infinity crisis mirror. Uh, and the infinity crisis mirror is this, you know, we sort of began with the healthcare crisis, right? Uh, back when COVID started launching and then social injustice crisis, which really rose to the forefront with the George Floyd murder. And then you know, an ongoing climate crisis, a growing mental health crisis, and then a leadership crisis. And then that's now added on a supply chain crisis, a geopolitical crisis that we, you know, we're having with the world uh, and the world at war back again. And then economic crisis, which we're facing here and abroad in terms of inflation, you know, and, and then a women's rights crisis. And so, you know, you think about what's happening here is that this, unfin- this ongoing infinity crisis mirror, you know, really continues to be, call on leaders to really improvise, adapt, and overcome. And that's really, that comes from that Clint Eastwood movie, you know, uh, I think it was Heartbreak Ridge and this notion about, you know, how, you know, leaders need to improvise, adapt, and overcome. And so part of our challenges, and that means on every level, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, the family level, the individual level, your community level, your company level, or your country level, each of those constituents is looking at these infinity crisis mirror. And as they reflect on that infinity crisis mirror, I think there's a call to action for us to actually go do something, right? It's gone from, you know, thinking about it and offering thoughts and prayers. We need to now turn those thoughts and prayers into action. And the tech pack has done just that as we reflected on that infinity crisis mirror and began to improvise, adapt and overcome, you know, a group of CIOs got together and created the tech pack. And we've been operating nearly over two years now, and we've been able to produce a number of results. You know, we have uh, done these Ignite sessions where we shared the stories of many exciting people about their journey. I mean, Vivian Ming, you know, who's one of these staunch leaders in terms of AI and and talking about how how AI can actually help us find incredible talent. I mean, she did a great storytelling with us. We did with one with Ted Colbert, you know, at Boeing. We've done multiple of these Ignite sessions where we've shared some amazing stories of some leaders. We've also done some amazing panels uh, and we produced these panels and we've done panels where people, where we brought in leaders of organizations that are producing diverse talent, you know, just really as a direct response to the Wells Fargo CEO saying, you know, if I would have more diverse talent, if I could just find it, well, here's an invitation, come to the tech pack, we'll help you find that diverse talent. And we'll have, we have relationships with many organizations that are doing a bunch of great work in this area and creating some amazing talent. And we've also created some bespoke reports. In fact, I participated with another uh, one of our partners and we wrote a book and we talked about how, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion can really be a difference maker kind of in your enterprise. And so we've got these various things. And so the tech pack is an exciting place to be. And it's an exciting time to be here. And it's our response, again, to that infinity crisis mirror. And I think 
my colleagues that are part of this organization. Uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for your ongoing support. We now have a, a steady CEO, uh, Kim Saxon, who's our CEO. <laughs> so we, we're starting to formalize it. You know, we were sort of building this plane as we flew it. Uh, now we have some more structure. Uh, and we're still probably saying, thank God, so Earl can settle down and not give us so many crazy ideas. <laughs> and we have an engine which is designed to go execute those ideas. So it's just a fantastic thing. And I encourage all of our listeners out there, if you want to get involved, you know, just go to www.techpack.org, you know, take the pledge and get involved. Wonderful. Thank you so much for mentioning that. And thank you for the important work, uh, Earl, that you and colleagues of yours have have done to make a real difference in uh, with, with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, important topic, certainly, and hopefully something that helps us overcome these crises that you talked about. Excellent. And let me also give you, you know, kind of my definition of uh, diversity, equity, inclusion. Please. And I've added now belonging to it. And so, you know, when I think about this, and this is one of those uh, secret sauces, I think, that all of us can go leverage. And this is one of those primary lessons learned that I've also started to take to heart and that diversity, equity, inclusion, and I think the ultimate result is belonging, right? And the best way to describe that is I use this kind of story to talk about it. I say diversity is being invited to the dance. You know, equity is being able to dance and you have the access to the dance floor and you've been taught to the dance. Inclusion is being asked to dance, but really belonging is wanting to dance and wanting to dance as if no one is looking at you. So imagine, you know, it's like when you're singing in the shower, how good you sound, <laughs> you know, it's the same thing happens when you're dancing as nobody's looking. I mean, you feel completely free. Uh, and, and when I think when you, when you've done that and you really build a belonging organization, you've done two things, right? You allow people to bring their full selves to work and you've also earned their discretionary labor, right? And so that's really the result of belongingness. And that becomes from psychological safety, right? And so when we create psychological safety in our organizations, and that's my goal of creating a belonging organization, you know, I think about the magic that we're going to be able to produce when I have 4,000 dancers, you know, working, you know, and, 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 and moving to their own music and, and enjoying themselves and being their full selves and bringing their creativity and enthusiasm and innovation and energy to everything that we do. I mean, I just can't even imagine what that's going to look like. And so, you know, the goal, my goal. Uh, and one goal that I talked about in this book that I co-wrote with uh, TechPack and the thing I'm trying to bring to my organization is build an organization of belonging where everyone feels psychologically safe. They can dance as if no one's looking. So I have 4,000 dancers that are out there delivering some amazing services to our customers and delighting themselves and their customers at the same time. What a, what a great definition. Thank you for that overview. And what, a, what an important point you make about belonging as an additional aspect of that and the, the way that you've, you've described that. Uh, I'll look forward to, to hearing about the progress made and the, the music that is or the dancing that, uh, that happens as a result of the 4,000 people uh, uh, being their full selves and dancing as though no one uh, is watching. What a, what a great way to frame that. Thank you. Thank you for that overview. Earl, we talked about a number of, of important areas in which you're focused, uh, new areas that are exciting you. It's kind of the elephant in the room uh, for any technology uh, executive that cybersecurity is an important topic one needs to be incredibly mindful of. Uh, I wonder just your own perspectives on cybersecurity and, and, and some of the things that you and the, the team are focused on or the insights, at least, that you have relative to the topic. Thanks, Peter, for the question about cyber. I think 
When I think about cyber, I think about it uh, in a unique way. You know, I think about cyber that we are on an active battlefield, right? And I use, you know, I'm a military guy, I came from West Point. So this notion of treating cyber as an active battlefield, I think is important. In fact, we've, uh, if you know about military doctrine, uh, military doctrine is, is pivoted from airland battle, uh, which was the old doctrine, which assumed that there was a front and, you know, there's a, we call it the flot, the forward line of troops, and there was a, a rear battle area, and then there was a FIBA and all this other stuff, right? Uh, and which was part of this thing called airland battle doctrine. We've now pivoted to what they call the coin doctrine, which is counterinsurgency, which means that the enemy can be anywhere. There's no front edge of the battle line. There is no clearly identifiable threat. We know it's just out there and you can need to be prepared for it anywhere. And so counterinsurgency, I think, is the new model that we need to think about when we think about cybersecurity, because there's really four phases to any cybersecurity attack. There's before the attack, there's during the attack, there's after the attack, and there's when the attack occurs. We only have control over three of those four phases. And so it's incumbent as IT professionals for us to really focus on moving from this thinking of 100% protection because you can't, in a counterinsurgency world, you can't protect 100% because the front line of the battlefield is murky. It doesn't exist. So don't believe it anymore. That doesn't happen. So you have to believe that I've got to move from protection to defensibility. And so when you're in a defensible security posture, that means that you're actively thinking about those three phases of that attack all the time. And so what am I doing before the attack? What am I, how am I instrumenting my, my teams? And I think about this in two ways. And we call our initiative inside Cummins Cyber Smart. Uh, and Cyber Smart really covers two things. We want to be cyber smart in our systems and cyber smart in our, in our people. And because really, I think the latest you know, data talks about 82% of all cyber incidents have a human component in them. So, you know, you know, and I call that the issues is, is either on two legs or two wires, right? You know, and so the two legs issue uh, uh, is the one that we really need to focus on because 82% of all cybersecurity issues have a human element in them. And so the way we try to focus on increasing our cyber smart is to ensuring that that before the event that we're training people, uh, we're testing them on how to uh, be you know look for phishing and spot phishing you know how to spot people walking in behind you you know not leaving your password you know taped on your computer all of those things that are human issues we've got to do that before the attack and then during the attack we also got to be mindful and practice and train during the attack because you know if i go back to my cyber analogy that this being like warfare you know one of the things that we do to train soldiers is we give them a lot of practice in fact you know, there's a theory that I call taking care of soldiers and taking care of soldiers means three things. It means, number one, that they're equipped well. Number two, that they're trained on that use of that equipment well. And number three is that they're practiced well. That means you go to exercise using that equipment that you've been trained on and you practice the real thing. And so tabletop exercises, you know, fishing things, those are all ways of ensuring that your cyber soldiers, which are your employees, <laughs> are well protected you know, and come back from the battle uh, unharmed, because that's the ultimate definition of taking care of a soldiers is ensuring they come home. Right. And so we want to do this, apply that same model to our cyber soldiers to ensure that when they interact with the enemy, that they come back unharmed. Uh, and so 
you know, I apply that taking care of soldiers uh, to taking care of our cyber employees. Um, and so when you think about that, those are all things that are happening in that pre-incident model. Then the per-incident, we apply and we learn that. And the post-incident stuff is about how do we apply those lessons learned and do that feedback loop back to the pre-incident uh, so that we can be better prepared for the next one. So when I think about cybersecurity, uh, I think about it in that way. So again, you know, it's we're in an active battlefield. We need to be on war footing. And being on war footing, we need to make sure that we take care of our cyber soldiers, of which each of you are one of them. And I hereby raise your right hand and repeat after me, I can enlist you today <laughs> to be a cyber soldier, <laughs> to help you be cyber smart, to help you and your organization become more cyber smart and your system become more cyber smart so that we can really have as much control of those three of the four phases of a cybersecurity incident as possible. That's what a defensible cybersecurity policy and procedure and a posture should be. What a great overview, Earl. I really appreciate you, uh, uh, the, the, the lens you put to that and, and the fact that you draw upon your, your experience uh, in the military. Thank you for your service uh, and, and, and leverage that in some creative ways uh, in, in, in thinking about how to, how to manage a very complex set of undertakings. Thank you. And I'm happy to have served. <laughs> I wanted to also ask you, if you don't mind, um, are there trends? We've talked about a few trends in a variety of different places, actually. Yeah. But I wondered uh, if there are other trends that excite you as you look to the future, say, a couple of years out. Uh, what are some of the things that are making their way on your roadmap? Yeah, I think there's a couple of trends that I would like to talk about. Number one, when I think about our industry and the power industry, and I, and I want to think about economies, right? And so when you think about economies, and I always often talk about the evolution of economies, so the evolution of economies, if you think about in the beginning, we began with the agricultural economy, which kind of gave way to the industrial economy, which gave way to the information economy, which gave way to the digital economy. And when digital was just thinking about just selling over the web uh, and now to the experience economy. Right. And I think experience economy is where we are at today. And this experience economy is where a few things are characterizing the experience economy. Number one is what I call experience transference. And this is where customers are taking the expectations or the experiences that they have from one transaction to another transaction, right? So if you walk into an Apple store and you're able to walk out and just scan your thing, now you want to go to Sears and do the same thing, or you want to go to a, a, a Cummins facility and do the exact same thing. Right. The experience you have on Google, the experience you have at Amazon, these things are starting to lay the groundwork for what the expectations of experience are. With this experience economy, you're going to go to these places where you have a horrible experience. Consumers are going to ask the question, why? Uh, and so I think we as organizations need to understand that question and ask ourselves that question, why? And what does the experience economy mean in your business? Um, how are you going to drive the ultimate experience? And the ultimate experience, I think, is going to be characterized in the power of business by if a phenomenon which we call ACE. And ACE really means it's automation, connectivity, and energy diversity. And so we believe the future of power uh, has those things in it. It'll be automated, it will be connected, and it will be energy diverse. Uh, and I even add the words hyper to it. So I think it'll be hyper automated. So the experience that you have with your power will be very personalized. It'll understand how you use it. It'll understand, you know, you know, Apple's trying to do that today with this idea about having personalized, you know, how you use your battery and try to get it to last longer. So I think that's going to happen to all kinds of power. It'll understand how you use it and to try to maximize its use so we can maximize the ability for that power to be conservative, to be green as, as green as it possibly can. So it'll be hyper automated. 
It also be hyper-connected. Uh, so in order to achieve that level of, of automation, we're going to need a new level of connectivity. So everything's going to be connected. So it can sense each other machine to machine, machine to people and people to machine. So that hyper degree of connectivity will be part of this future. Um, and then energy diversity. And energy diversity means we'll have fossil-based fuels, non-fossil-based fuels, and even dilithium crystals <laughs> one day, right? And so, you know, this idea about energy diversity is going to be the way of the future. And so you think about ACE um, and how ACE is going to show up in this experience economy. And I think that's going to be one of those things that's going to change the way people interact and talk about power, utilize their power, et cetera. So that's one of these trends, this evolution of economies. The second trend is this kind of this evolution of connectivity and you know, let's call it the universe. And now we're talking about metaverse, right? And so I think metaverse is just going to be a, another way for us to connect and collaborate. And I think the next version of the metaverse is really going to be about collaboration. People are thinking about it for marketing and other things, but I think the, the real power will be is this, is this opportunity to collaborate in the metaverse, especially we've got this new ways of working. Many of our you know, people are working remotely, and that's none of those trends that says, you know, we're going to continue to be more of a hybrid world. So in this more of this hybrid world, how do we create that sense of belongingness? How do you create that sense of culture? I think we're going to be able to leverage the metaverse to do some of that, especially when the metaverse gets to be really mixed reality. When I can bring people to you, when it becomes that transporter, you know, think about dilithium crystals. Now we have a way of really doing, making the transporter a real thing uh, and bringing you in to a room uh, using mixed reality. And if we do that the right way, we can really change the way people collaborate, people connect, you know, people build culture that way. So I think that's another trend that we need to be watching for is the metaverse for collaboration. The uh, next trend I think I would talk about is NLP. And so, you know, natural language processing and you, we know what, what's going on with AI. So I think this is the next uh, thing where AI will be leveraged uh, and is being leveraged now to do even more NLP. Um, NLP will be there and your machine visioning will be there. And so the combination between NLP and machine visioning is going to change the way things operate on the factory floor. It's going to change the way uh, we, we interact with uh customer service agents, it's going to change the way we react with our products. And so I think this notion of machine visioning and NLP and the modernization of the factory is going to be another trend that we need to watch out for. And the last trend, which is a little further out, is the quantum quantum trend and how people are talking about quantum and quantum mechanics and quantum computing. Um, and what happens when you combine quantum and, and 5G or next generation networking technology when you can compute and transmit at the speed of thought, right? And so that now enables a bunch of new uh, analytical, you know, kinds of things. It enables a much new different way for machines to interact with humans. Uh, I think it's going to change the way that we do analysis. It's going to change the way we maybe look at medicine and, you know, this whole notion of personalization can become much more real uh, when quantum and 5G come together and you can do things at the speed of thought. So that's the speed of thought mindset. And I think the speed of thought is coming. Um, and, you know, I'm not a singularitist. So I'm not saying we're going to we're going to hit the singularity. But I do believe we can compute and transmit at the speed of thought. A compelling vision role. I really like that. And I love how how clearly you seem to see it in terms of the the, the methods of getting there. I, I appreciate that <laughs> overview. I also wanted to ask you, I mentioned earlier that you've been a 
uh, a CXO multiple times over, the CTO of Estee Lauder, a, a CIO at companies like T Connectivity, Praxair, or Linda before your current role at Cummins. Um, you, you've, you for some time have been uh, at the highest heights of technology in major organizations. And I wonder, you know, as you reflect upon your journey, what have been some of the secrets to your success? Uh, and, and especially if you would mind kind of tuning some of that towards maybe some recommendations for others who might wish to follow in your footsteps, I'd be particularly appreciative. Sure. And thank you for the opportunity to share. And you have know, had a chance to reflect on this and I'll give you a story. I was actually at you know, a resort town somewhere uh, recently. Well, I mean, it was about four or five years ago. Um, and the the bell person was there and the person, the valet was there. And the valet, I was out there working to get my car and I was going to go off to go to some dinner or something like that. And this young man, he's probably 21 years old. And, and this was his summer job working the valet at one of these resorts. And he uh, came up to me and as he was giving me my keys to my car, he said, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, first, you don't have to call me sir. My name is Earl. <laughs> I'm not <a> sir. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he said, I'm 21. Uh, what advice, you know, would you give me uh, to your 21-year-old self? And maybe that was like, that's been a, a question that people have been, you know, I know I've heard it out more often. So maybe they're teaching this in school to say, hey, why don't you ask old people what, what they were doing when they were young? <laughs> and I'll call I'll call it seasoned people. <laughs> and so, you know, it, he, he asked that, me that question and it took me by surprise. And, and, and when I thought it was, wow, you're, that's, you know, quite incredible question. It's a really great one. The one that's thought provoking. And so uh, as I've had the chance to think about it since he's asked that question, I kind of came back to this and and what I told him was you know I'm a believer in this notion of the six word story and the six word story really comes from uh you know a construct that I think Ernst Hemingway made famous and somebody challenged him to write a short story and he said I, you know, I can do this in six words um and so his six word story was for sale baby shoes never worn and what that means is that in six words you can tell a, a really compelling story you can invoke emotion you can make people want to ask more. Uh, you can make a point. Uh, and so you could do so in a very few amount of words. In fact, I think Einstein's credited for saying that, you know, I would be more brief if you give me more time. So I think there's a power in brevity. And there's a, a very, and so I think there's power in brevity. And so my favorite six word story, and this is the kind of a thing I shared with a gentleman who asked me this, uh, the valet. Uh, I said, you know, you're the story that you tell yourself. Um, and that is really the power of your personal narrative. Your personal narrative can either limit you or it can unleash you. And so my advice is, what is that story that you're telling yourself right now? And is that story that you're telling yourself going to limit you or unleash you? So throughout my career, I've told myself, yes, I can do this. Yes, this, you know, yes, this is possible. Yes, I may not know everything I need to know now, but I have a process uh, in place on how I'm going to learn these things. And so I think this is the most powerful thing you can do is understand what story is that you're telling yourself. And this, uh, this goes not only when you're 21 years old, but when you're 40, when you're 50, we all tell us, tell ourselves different stories. And so what story are you telling yourself? And is that story one that's unleashing your potential or limiting it? And some examples of stories that I tell myself is like the first law of holes is if you're in one, stop digging. Right. So I think it's a great story to tell yourself. Another one is do the simple things well. Right. Let's not complicate the simple. Another one is rule zero. Regardless of all the other rules, don't do anything foolish. Another story I tell myself is hard work will pay off. I really believe that 
you know, another story is I like to follow success and think that work is something that you do, not a place that you go. Right. So do the work. Uh, and the last story I love to tell myself is life is what happens when you're busy planning. Right. And so enjoy life. You know, you know, don't plan, don't over plan it. Uh, I love the uh, the song Busy Man. I think it's by Billy Ray Cyrus. And he said, nobody on no tombstone ever is written. I wish I spend more time at work. So <laughs> enjoy your life. Yeah. Number one thing. Life is what happens while you're busy planning. That is a great overview. Thank you so much, uh, Earl, and, and uh, amazing some of the conclusions you've drawn, the pithy way in which you found to describe <laughs> some of these stories. I, I really love the the, the six-word story concept. Uh, thank you so much for sharing, and thank you for a great conversation across a, a range of topics that we've covered. Uh, your, your current uh, role at Cummins, your vision for the future, the role the technology is playing, uh, the important comments that you had relative to uh, uh, D, E, I, and B, uh, including belonging, uh, more about kind of your, 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 your career and some of the lessons from that, the trends you see going forward. It's been a really interesting conversation. I appreciate you sharing your insights with me and with this audience. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for the invite and happy to come back again when invited. And I know you do a great job at this and I love your stories. I love uh, the way that you put these things together and I love the work that you do. So thank you very much for the work that you do. It makes our industry a better industry. Oh, you're very kind to say it. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. <laughs>